Well, had to leave the town of Mead due to financial hardships and lack of work. Needed to find a new city to dwell in for their growing families. The Joneses arrived at the city gate of the new town, their new town, hopefully, the town of Mora. As the Jones reached the gate, the gatekeeper stopped them and asked them their business. Mr. Jones said, we hope to move to Mora. This is my family. We had to leave the city of Mead due to financial difficulties. The gatekeeper said, what kind of people live in the city of Mead? Mr. Jones started to cry. He said, our friends were so hard to leave in Mead. We actually planned on leaving a week ago, but it was so hard to say goodbye to our friends that we visited at each house. We stayed at a couple hours extra. And Mead has many fine people. It definitely was very difficult to leave our friends behind. The gatekeeper said, Mr. Jones, you'll find those exact people here. You've come to the right place. Everywhere you go in Mora, you'll find people just like you've said. You've come to the right place in the town of Mora. We're not only prosperous, but you'll find many, many more people just like the friends you described. Welcome to your new home. The gate was thrown open. The Joneses became part of the Mora community. Not much, not many minutes, barely an hour passed. Another gate up to the, another wagon up to the gate. The Roberts family arrived at the city gate of Mora. Gatekeeper stopped them and asked them their business. Mr. Roberts said, we hope to move to Mora. This is my family. We had to leave the city of Mead due to financial difficulties. And the gatekeeper asked, what kind of people live in Mead? Mr. Roberts said, you know, we're glad to be out of there. People would lie to you. There's cliques. The neighbors were a constant annoyance. There was tension, just just tension all the time. There's too many people in the city of Mead that are critical and always complaining about something. The gatekeeper said, Mr. Roberts, you'll find those exact type of people here. This probably isn't the town for you. I would check the next one down. As I listen to that story and as I consider that, the Joneses and the Roberts were from the same town, or we could say the same church. They lived in the same street in Mead. They had the same circumstances, but they had a different relationship to the people around them. The Jones and the Roberts are fictional names, but their attitudes are far from fictional, aren't they? Can you identify? I can identify. What we say about others says more about us than about them. Always. What we say about others says more about us than it really says about them. Romans 2 describes that. It says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. Now, I would like to ask you a question. Can you describe the Mennonite church? Here's our list, right? Can you describe Northwood's Mennonite Church to me? How many of you were, are, were a member at a church elsewhere? Uh, can I see your hand? 
Most of us. How many of you have been a member only at Northwoods Mennonite Church? Can I see your hand? Oh, yeah, there's some. Yeah, there's quite a few. God bless you. You persevered, right? Those of you who left another church, can I ask you a question? How were the people like? How were the people like that you left? You got any lists? We can speak with contempt of history past, but what we say about others says more about ourselves than anyone else. Um, What I'd like to talk about is relationships. That's what I see in the Joneses and the Roberts. Somehow, in their city of Mead, the Joneses looked at this and somehow bridged the gap somewhere, uh, somewhere in that gulf between human beings. They were able to bridge that gap and build a relationship. There was, there was something in the Joneses that connected. We think, well, no, but the Roberts, they were cynical, alright? Obviously cynical. They probably had some things done against them that caused them to be bitter. Maybe it was something that Jones had done, right? The Jones are happy-go-lucky and just everybody else has to pick up the pieces. But no one made the Roberts bitter. They chose to be bitter. No one can make you bitter. Zero people can. That's only something that we can choose. It's never inherited, never given. It's only something we choose. I believe God has established life principles. Principles that I want to embrace more and more as I live. As I was studying this, how do people bridge the gap and build closer relationships? What are principles? Turn to Ephesians chapter uh, 2. The book of Ephesians, I believe, in a lot of ways, is about God's building a relationship with His people. And what all entailed that bridging, He bridging the gap to build a relationship with us. And I believe as, you know, we're all really unique. Uh, Like my brother says, some more than others. But we're all unique. And there's a gap between us Right? That whether you're in the same family or whether you're a twin to somebody, it doesn't matter. You're still worlds apart, really, as how you think because you're unique. Somebody who is willing to build a close relationship is somehow able to bridge that gap, somehow to be able to draw close to others. Now, this message is important because Jesus says, this is how I know that you're mine if you love one another. In other words, if you're willing to bridge that gap, if you're willing to build that close relationship, that's how I know that you're mine, and that's how others will know that you're mine. So it's a very serious um, relationship, is a very serious thing. These principles found in Ephesians is how Jesus Christ reached to us. And I believe these same principles, as I put them in the Joneses' life, um, I believe that that's how the Joneses were able to connect with others around them as well. Chapters 1 and 2 in Ephesians talks about how God spanned a great relationship gap. And we don't understand many times how great that gap is or was. Um, Sometimes I think we have to understand how great the gap is between us and realize we need to bridge the gap as well, though. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11, we're going to see how God spanned that gap. Wherefore, remember... 
ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Now, that's a very distant relationship. You could say no relationship. But it says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Close relationships are always based on a willingness to sacrifice. You are made nigh by the blood of Christ. There was a sacrifice involved to reach down to you, to reach out to you. Close relationships are always based on a willingness to sacrifice. You imagine as messed up as we are, as fickle as we are, God chose to sacrifice. He brought us nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. Uh, what an incredible sacrifice. A love for us, a desire for a relationship, that spanning of the gap in relationship, that gap was spanned by, number one, by sacrifice. Now we look at that and say, well, you know, I don't feel as closely connected with others. Um, I don't think they really sacrificed for me to bridge the gap and connect to me. I feel unloved. I feel like people don't want a close relationship with me because they're not willing to sacrifice for me. Actually, you're describing yourself better than you're describing anybody else, right? You're not willing to sacrifice to reach out and to become connected. So you've just described yourself. Uh, I find this so easy. You know, all of us have different personalities. My personality is I'd rather be in the back and I just as soon leave when amen is said and have a nice day. Um, but it's important to sacrifice and connect with people. Um, Jay Fox was somebody who would push you out of your comfort zone and um, somebody made the comment to him, you know, um, People don't come up and talk with me much. I feel lonely. And his thought was, oh, and how much do you go up and talk to them? Well, no, no, that's not the problem. The problem, okay, <laughs> tell me what that problem is. Are you willing to sacrifice to build that close relationship? A lot of times we're just pity me, pity me. Um, I'm the Roberts, Right. Let me describe the people that I used to live around. And guess what? The people that you live around now, <laughs> it won't be very long. You'll describe them the same way. Because you keep moving, right? Sacrifice. It, it, is, it is so important. Those willing to sacrifice will build closer relationships. That's the first principle of relationship. I believe that God has shown to us willing to sacrifice. Second one is closely related. Ephesians chapter 4 and reading at verse 31. It says, and these are things that have to do with relationships, right? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. We look at the word malice and say, you know, what's, what's a malice? Sounds like something you put in a lettuce today, right? Um, malice means like malicious. 
uh, a meanness. Uh, there's a meanness that wants to come out of all of us, right? And he says, you need to put that away. Now, we can make ourselves look right and feel right, call it righteous indignation, call it whatever you want, but, but there's this meanness that wants to come out and, and poke somebody and twist. The word clamor we don't um, use a lot today. It actually means, I, I found it interesting that the, as I looked it up in the, what the Greek word is, it means drama. Uh, some people like to dramatize everything, right? Oh, this is huge and it's, it's just going to get huger. And, uh, we got to dramatize because we want people to understand, wow, am I putting up with a lot, right? Whew. We all play the drama game. Uh, let all the bitterness... All the wrath, all the anger. You know, when we get angry, it's because someone else is affecting us and we don't like the way they're affecting us. Let all that stuff be put away, he says. And now he says in verse 32, very simple words, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Um, I don't know everything about Jesse, and I don't know everything about Elvie, I don't know everything about Ryan. I don't know everything about uh, John. I don't know everything about you all. But this is one thing I know is if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is the only way you got there. A tender-hearted forgiveness by Jesus Christ. There's no one here who says, no, I, I earned the right. I earned the right to be a friend of Jesus. There's no one here. You got there because you had a tender-hearted forgiveness reached out to you by Jesus Christ. And he says, and this is for you. You want to build a close relationship? This is how Jesus brought us to a close relationship. This is how you build a close relationship. You need to be tender-hearted and forgiving one another. Just like you've been forgiven. It's a beautiful thing to live in forgiveness. People nurse pain. I'm telling you, people nurse pain and anger and bitterness. People who nurse things that they dramatize. They look to childhood and they can remember things back there that happened to them that still just... And they're taught even today, look back and dig it all up, right? See if somebody didn't traumatize you. And you know, there's some people that they can remember every little detail of things that happen to them because there's this anger in them we can all relate all right we, we, we can't just say well that's all somebody else we can all relate when we're ticked at something we can remember every detail about what somebody else is doing or saying but he says look as jesus tenderheartedly forgave you that's exactly how you're going to build a close relationship if we're not willing to go there, we're going to move away from that community. <coughs> we're going to move into the town of Mora. They're going to say, how is it like where you came from? Forgiveness. This is what God has done to us. There's another principle I wanted to spend just a little bit more time on. Ephesians chapter 5. This Ephesians chapter 5 is one that speaks of, we all know, the wedding 
or the, the marriage relationship, which is to be the close relationship um, for human beings. But before it speaks about that marriage relationship, it says in verse 21 about how we need to be as we build relationships. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know, people who can't submit, watch their relationships. Watch how that goes for them. In all of life, watch how that goes for them. There's sacrifice, there's forgiveness, and there's submission. Sub means to go under. It means to be down. Uh, mit is a more than a ball glove. It's from the Latin word mitter, um, where we get our word mission from. If someone is a mitter, it means they're on a mission to accomplish something. Not just a desire, but they are actually in the action of doing it. They're into it. They're on a mission. It's not just, you know, take out the trash and, oh, 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 um, if something comes up or if candy comes up or something comes up in my way between now and then, I probably am going to delay taking out the trash. This A mission is something that's, I don't care what you try and put in my way. This is what's going to be done. I am on a mission. But he says here, you need to be in submission. You need to go down under with your mission. If a man, and I said that right, if a man doesn't learn submission, his relationships will be trouble. I don't care how gifted that man is. Doesn't matter how sacrificial that man is. Doesn't man matter how forgiving that man is. If a man hasn't learned submission, his relationships will be troubled. If a wife hasn't learned submission, no matter how gifted, no matter how pretty, her relationships will suffer incredibly. Submission is huge in relationships. No, if I would have a better authority to relate to, I would embrace submission. So the disgruntled husband leaves his wife and marries another woman. Because he will listen to what she desires, right? He will, he will now be under submission. Not always just what I want to do. I'm going to live in submission now. Because I have a better authority, a better person to relate to. So he will please this woman because she loves him. And one day you will find out every relationship faces the same thing. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Many nurse past hurts. Anger has turned them against the very things that God tried to teach them originally in submission. But because they refused to listen to it in the town of Mead, now they're facing it in the town of Mora. I was reading some statistics. You know, if someone doesn't learn that essential ingredient of submission. Submitting yourselves one to another. The man says, I can't live with this. The man leaves his first wife and remarries. What are the chances that he'll leave his second wife? Anybody know? 70%. So 70% chance he's going to leave his second wife. 
And if he has left his second wife, there is 85 to 90% chance he will leave his third wife. Now, I'd like to say this. In two, there's a lot of hurt going around, friends, in today's the United States of America. And it's because men and women can't embrace this thing of, I'm going to build relationship. I'm going to be the Jones. That's me. It's going to start at home. It's going to start at church. It's going to start in every relationship I have. In 2000, this is enough hurt to go around, friends. Just about one million divorce, divorces in 12 months. One million. That's about 80,000 per month in 30 days. That's about 2,600 a day. That's about 111 per hour, which means every, about two every minute. Someone's going to say, you know what? I can't submit to this anymore. I'm, I'm out of here. This is what I wish the second wife would say. You seem like a nice guy. Tell me, how was your first wife? I just wish she would ask that. Well, here's the list. Tension all the time. Critical. Always complaining about something. Well, Mr. Roberts, you'll find those same things living with me. How are your in-laws? Oh, here's my list. Right? Tension. Never accepted me. Did you accept them? Did you bridge the gap for them? Turn to Romans chapter 13. There's a verse that I was reading two weeks ago in the book of Romans that it was like a sledge came out and hit me over the head. This is what Jesus did in submission. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience or submission by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. I like it the way another translation states that. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned submission from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as the perfect high priest. Why does he call him a high priest? Because he has a close relationship with God. He has a close relationship with man. So he is spanning the gap between God. He is spanning the gap to man because of a close relationship. And how did that close relationship come about? It says... He learned these things. He learned submission. He had to come to embrace that. Romans chapter 13, looking at verse 13. I'm going to read the first four verses and the last six verses. Six, yeah. First, let me get this straight. Last six words, first four words. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Look at the end. Not in strife. And envying. How do you do that? How do you get to the place where you're mature enough that you don't say, but what about them? And why can't I have a fair shake? And why can't... Where do you get to the spot where you actually can submit to something without griping about it? 
That's what Romans 13 is about. Let's stop the way we want to naturally walk and let's start walking honestly, not in strife and envying. Verse 14, But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now, if I would summarize, and if you would summarize Romans 13, you would summarize it in one word, submission. God is adamant about us hearing this. Looking at verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. That means authority. For there is no power or authority but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. That, that phrase there is the one that hit me over the head. They that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. We live in a world where they, we say, no, we've got to all figure this out for ourselves, right? Um, but as you consider this fact, this, this submission fact, um, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, or Jesus the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. Is there authority in the Trinity? What do you think? Authority in the Trinity. There is. God the Father. Uh, is there submission in the Trinity? There is. In fact, there's such a perfect authority, such a perfect submission, that I have never heard anyone describe how the Trinity works in, in detail. I don't think we can wrap our heads around it, really. But there's a beauty there that's just beyond us. And there's a closeness there that we have, we don't even comprehend. And it's authority. And it's submission. How can there be closeness? Because there is closeness there. What he says here in Romans 13 is God establishes positions of authority. God is at work when there's authority structure. What Satan always tries to do, always, always tries to do, is he tries to destroy the structure of authority. Every man for himself. Let, let's get this. What if the Trinity was every man for himself? How would it work? I have no idea. But there's a beauty and closeness in relationship in this authority and submission. Uh, we read in Revelations a couple Sundays ago about God's people ruling in heaven with authority. Also spoke about, um, you know, in when James and John came and said, Jesus, can we sit at your right hand? Can we have some authority? Jesus didn't say there is no such thing. Uh, you're barking up the wrong tree. How can there be authority in heaven? I, you know, how can there be peace? In heaven when there's authority, when there's submission. We're going to a place where the Trinity is present. We're going to a place of perfect submission. A place of perfect authority. And I think we must ready ourselves accordingly. I think we must ready ourselves accordingly. <clears throat> you know, I wish I would have learned these lessons a long time ago. and I continue to learn them. 
But it says here, let every soul, let every soul. There's no exception. There's no one here who says, well, I finally made it to the top. And now I want, I need you all to listen to me. <laughs> We're in for a row if that's where we think we've arrived. We're in for a real row. And we're also in for a row if we've come to the spot where I'm not going to take that off of you. Right? There's not a submission. We're in for a row. We're into a distant relationship. Well, we'll still get along. It's just that, well, you stay over in that corner, right? And I'll sit up in this corner. The Lord wants us, I believe, to replicate the beauty and the Trinity in the church in our homes, in our relationships, that there is a submission. There's a coming under. Uh, there is a, if I could say it this way, um, relationships are brought closer together when we learn these principles. Um, you know, I've heard it said often, and I agree, I think a lot different than Claire. Claire thinks a lot different than Eric. Eric thinks a lot different than me. Uh, we meet every week. And so far, we've not gone after each other with the silverware at our table. So far, we haven't thrown water at each other. Uh, why isn't the church split in three different directions? I, I think this is it, Claire. When us three sit down, there has to be a mutual submission that we go under. And that means give and take, but there has to be, we're willing to park our opinion for the good of everyone. Church, unless we are willing to do that, we'll never go together in relationship. There there's, has to be a submission. Claire's getting close to retirement so we can brag on him a little bit, right? Claire has helped that in the ministry. We need to meet together. We need to discuss things. We need to, we need to be one. Not saying we need to be one in all of our opinions. It's saying we need to submit to each other. We need to bless each other. We need to help each other along. We have to come together as one. And I believe for the church to go forward through an ordination, through the end times, we have to as well learn the lesson. We have to be willing to submit to one another in love and the fear of God. Sacrifice, forgiveness, submission. I believe the greater people learn that, the greater and the closer their relationships are intertwined. I close with this question. Mr. Jones, how was the church you came from? Uh, Mr. Roberts, can you describe to me your family? Can we take the initiative from as God reached out to us? It's amazing to me the submission that Christ had and He did it for our salvation. Amazing the forgiveness that He extends to us. And He did it for our salvation. 
It's amazing the sacrifice that He came and He did it for our salvation to bridge the gap, to bring a close relationship. And friends, who are we to say we're Christians, but we tend to be distant people? Let's love one another. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer?